Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. And as usual, I have another exciting guest for you today. I love this woman. Um, Carrie Fullerton is somebody who I actually know personally. We've, we've met. We're in the same town. But she is a dynamo and really making some changes in the food and diet industry. But before we get to that, I just want to do a little shout out. So if you haven't already heard some of the solo episodes, do tune into those. Those are the places where you get to say what we cover on the show. So send me your comments, feedback, and questions that you would like me to cover at innerdominatrix at gmail.com. So send me your feedback or join the Facebook group, access your inner dominatrix, and let me know what's going on with you. All right, so let's get going here. We have Carrie Fullerton. I should say Dr. Carrie Fullerton. My apologies. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> yeah, so you've got this kick-ass thing going on with the diet rebellion and the food sanity. You are an expert in this. I know that you're using your coaching and your mentoring and, of course, your naturopathic background. You have amazing skills there. And you're really helping women to just do this shift and this navigation. I, I, I love it because it's like diets are useless. <laughs> and you're really standing up and saying, okay, it's time for us to change how we're interacting with food and how we as women are leading for our children. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how did this whole diet rebellion come about? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, that was very kind words. And um, <laughs> Yeah, it came about from, I mean, my own experience. I think so many of us who are out trying to change the world, it's because it, things didn't jive and didn't work for us, right? And uh, I grew up believing that I needed to change my body to find my happiness and my success. You know, through the years learned that that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, it didn't lie on my outside, it, it was within. And tapping into those tools was tricky because there, well, there still, sadly, aren't that many people who are reinforcing that we have what we need inside to, to be the best version of ourselves. You know, we live in this consumerism world where we're looking outside of ourselves to make ourselves happy. And they've trained us to do that from a very young age, and they've done a good job. Mm. <laughs> sadly, I have to agree and and it's really just it's so exciting to see more and more people stepping in and, and holding this voice because like you and I have talked and and I I'm really I'm all with you it's like let's get people standing in their own power mm -hmm. and knowing that yeah you have everything inside of you and so what if you followed your own wisdom yeah and I know you you completely do that with how you teach for food and how people interact with food so maybe you can share some little insider tips of how to change our relationship with food yeah it's a food has become so incredibly complicated you know the the doctor and scientist in me gets frustrated with the research that gets thrown out there because it's very sensationalized <laughs> um and it's still so young and, um, you know, we try and break it down into these tiny little components that it's this particular food that's good or bad and this particular nutrient that we're lacking. And if we just do this, then everything will be great. And so it's no wonder that people are confused. Um, but that confusion is what leads us or keeps us trapped in that dieting world and in that we're dependent upon other people. So I, uh, I teach intuitive eating and I teach 
just intuitive living, intuitive movement. Like you said, you know, it's within us. It's stepping into your own power. I remember talking to one woman about this and she said, Carrie, are you crazy? I'm just going to flip a switch and suddenly trust myself and eat anything. And I said, well, kind of, <laughs> but <laughs> the short answer, yes. The long answer is there's a, there's quite a few steps that need to happen to get to that place. And, and really the biggest step is, is starting to respect your body and appreciate your body for all the things that it does in the form it is in now. We're forever waiting. Uh, the pun is purely intended there mm-hmm. for life to happen, right? That, you know, once I lose that, once I get into that, once I, and, um, and people do some pretty wild and wacky things. So food rules are overwhelmingly complicated and they are taken as a truth that hasn't really been proven yet. And uh, the intuitive eating has some pretty solid research behind it. And oh, uh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat stuff and the food sanity that comes from it. And really the, the tenets of intuitive eating is that you're going to take a moment to check in with your body to find out how hungry you are and what kind of food would satisfy that hunger and then doing your best to meet that. And it sounds so simple, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, application. <laughs> That's a whole different, different thing, thing altogether. Yeah. Um, and part of why it's so complicated is because when we live in a very busy world full of distractions and stimulations, mm. so pausing is something that has to be taught. Uh, and it can it can be a very uncomfortable experience for some people. Me being one of them. Uh, when I when I pause, I get to hear how crazy my head is, and I don't always enjoy that experience. <laughs> but I do it anyways because of what a, an impact it has in my life. And when it comes to food, it's it's you know tuning in. Am I hungry? What do I need? And sometimes it's not food, and that's where the self care piece comes in. And it's really difficult when food has always been your comfort, which it was for me. I I was a a, a binger and a, a sneaker, and when I didn't feel good or happy or if I needed comfort, I would use food. So it was very difficult then to find other things that would give me what I needed when food had been my base for so long. But it was such a given, you know, it was my nemesis, right? Like in the one moment it gave me what I needed. And the next moment I was so filled with guilt and shame for the way I used food. Why couldn't I just get over it? I'm fat. I'm lazy. I'm blah, blah, blah. (laughs) So it was, uh, it was a really difficult thing to navigate. And I, for the most part, did it on my own because people didn't get binge eating, so I'd talk to counselors and, you know, they'd say, well, just don't eat. Oh, thank you. Why didn't I <laughs> think of that? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> you can go for what? Three, four days? Sure. <laughs> um, or I would tell them what, you know, I'd, I'd tell them part of what I binged on and, and their eyes would bug out because they just couldn't help but be disgusted by the quantity of food that I was capable of consuming in a binge. So when people didn't understand binging, uh, the judgment and the shame and the guilt just got piled on top and it was like a dirty windshield and people just kept slinging mud on it. And I got lost in there for a long time. You know, you're so brave to, to really openly to share about this. And I know like I, I relate because I, I was a real big sugar binger myself and um, I wouldn't say I had a binging like that extreme, 
but it was definitely there were food stuff going on and definitely I used sugar. I used food to stuff my emotions, to stuff what was going on, especially growing up. I mean, there was all kinds of craziness in my house. And so Mm -hmm. food was comforting and, and then, you know, having a little extra weight was comforting. It was, it was helpful at that time. But then, yeah, along with it comes all of the other crap, which is not comforting. Mm -hmm. And that's the cycle. And so, I, you know, I love that you're really acknowledging that this is this is a journey that oh, yeah. we're going to be on, yeah. Right? And and having support in this journey, I think food more than any other addiction, I see you know a support team is critical. Yeah, and it's having the the right kind of people around. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because of my experience of reaching out for help when I was younger, I I learned not to reach out for help because it wasn't safe. Um, because I felt very judged and I, I didn't typically get the support that I really needed at the end of it all. And it took a really long time for me to start to find the right people and really reach out. And that was when my, I mean, my recovery from disordered eating really skyrocketed. And I, I was really able to implement things because I had people I could go to and bounce ideas off of and, and be actually vulnerable, which is not a comfortable thing. But when I had asked for help before I'd asked from the wrong people, I didn't ask for help from people who understood that I wasn't going to diet anymore. One of the stories I share with my, with my rebels in my programs is the very first book I'd ever picked up about not dieting. I was in naturopathic college. It was my first year. And I, I don't know, Dana, I couldn't have been more than a, like a size eight or 10, but it felt like I was the biggest fattest woman under the sun. Mm. And that I, you know, that, that body type, that body shape, that body weight wasn't representative of a healthy naturopathic lifestyle. And, you know, the naturopathic community is filled with a lot of interesting nutritional (laughs) ideas. And, um, I, (laughs) I was triggered to say the very least. So I had actually gone to the bookstore and, um, I wanted to find a way to finally, you know, kick this sugar thing and kick this binge stuff and get my willpower, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the voices. Anyways, being in school and dirt poor, I went to the bargain section um, and there was a book called It's Not About Food. And it was $2. It was not anywhere close to what I had originally walked into, but it was so serendipitous. And I'm so grateful I spent that $2 (laughs) (laughs) because they were talking to me. And they were talking about all these associations we have with food and how all these food rules and restriction and and how that leads to so many different things. So they were the first ones. It wasn't called intuitive eating at that point. It was a couple of nutritionists um, quite a few years later who came up with that term. But they, um, they talked about the same concept of eat what you want in the quantity that satisfies when you need to eat it and carry on. And this was radical, right? Like, mm-hmm. what? Just eat what I want? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds retarded because it does, you know, right? especially if you're thinking, okay, I'm going I'm to tell a binge eater, eat what you want and eat until you're satisfied. It's like, um, isn't that kind of a little dangerous? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and remind me to come back to that point because I have, I have comments on that. <laughs> so... Um, I, I had taken this book, I'd read it, I was devouring it. Like it was just finally someone was speaking to what I inherently knew inside that dieting was not my answer and that I needed to tune in. 
And then uh, I had seen my intern at the naturopath at college and, and uh, told him about what I was doing. And he just teed off about how unhealthy that was and how you can't just eat whatever you want, whenever you want. There has to be nutrition, blah, 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 blah. Boom, shut down. Mm. Right? Like immediately I had all this, like I finally found my solution and it just got squished. So then I was like a closet intuitive eater for a while um, <laughs> because it, it was, it was precious to me and, yeah. and I, I knew it was the right path for me, but I, I was still very unsteady in navigating it and I didn't want anyone else to squish it. So mm -hmm. I didn't talk about it. I did my own work privately, which took a whole lot longer. And I mean, thankfully with the body positive movement now, there are some better places for support. Um, but at the time this was just really, really out there kind of stuff. <laughs> so, um, where was I going with that? Yeah. The point of that was just the support thing. Right. And I, I, I did it on my own. I did it very privately. And then I started working with my patients and, and I started walking them through the process. And, you know, I started to see what worked and what didn't and what a big need there was for this. Oh, you know? huge. Because people are forever, like, are you supposed to be vegan? Well, I can show you research to say yes. I can show you research to say no. Should you be paleo? Oh, you know, I can provide all kinds of stuff. Well, what about this keto is the cool kids thing now, intermittent <laughs> fasting? Yes. Um, you know, and the research on that as a general diet for the average person, it's not there. You know, wow. but it's touted as just this like breakthrough thing that's going to save you, right? Mm. <laughs> And, you know, and that hits the nail on the head is that, you know, anytime there's anything that says this is the thing that's going to save you. Yes. Run the other direction. Absolutely. Because it creates a dependency, right? Yeah. Like my goal when women come into my program is that they get the tools they need that they don't need me anymore. It's not that I'm never there for them, obviously, mm -hmm. the, but they, they get to work with the tools and figure it out so that when they fall down, because they will, they'll get triggered. Yeah. It's the world that we live in, yeah. but they know how to pick themselves back up. I still use these tools mm -hmm. all the time, you know, and I've been at this for 15 years. But it's about empowering these women to not need me to tell them what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be living. And, you know, yeah. all the diet and fitness programs out there, they're not that, right? It's yeah, like, well, it's you know, more of a, here, I have the answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I truly believe that there is not one way of eating that suits every person. And the only person that knows what the right way for eating is, is you. And, and it fluctuates. Like, it does. Because I, I, you know, I've been doing intuitive eating, well, you know, most days. <laughs> so, but it fluctuates day to day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to tell a, a funny story. So like to highlight the, that initial piece of, you know, somebody says, oh, eat what you want. And, um, and I had come off of a uh, strict sugar-free, mostly raw food eating. And here I get into, you know, the energy work and people are like, well, you know, just ask your body what you want to eat. And I'd be like, oh, body, do you want chocolate? And I'd be like, yes. Of and course I do. <laughs> of course I do. Of course, I didn't ask how much. Right. And, uh, and within a couple of weeks, I'd put on 20 pounds. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. <laughs> and like, you know what? Huh. That is one of the biggest reasons why people hesitate stepping into the anti-diet intuitive eating world. Yeah. They're terrified of getting fat. 
it's actually the name of the freebie on the Diet Rebellion website, how to ditch dieting without getting fat. Because it is the number one reason that people freak out over it. For sure. And this brings me back to this, the story I wanted to mention earlier. One of the biggest challenges I had while I was navigating this was the very first step of any book I picked up and whether there's some great authors out there um, doing this work and have been for quite some time, but I would, the very first sort of tenant of it was ditch the rules. And it was dangerous for me because I would then go off on crazy binges and it would just validate that I couldn't be trusted with food. And mm. so it inadvertently did exactly the opposite of what it was meant to do which was to give me the freedom and the trust and the confidence to be able to navigate food. So when I, when I started working with other, with my patients and cause I, I didn't do the coaching stuff until the last couple of years. Um, so in my office working with women and, and walking them through the steps, I started to see that before you can ditch the food rules, you need to develop a, a sense of calm. So mm. rebel Boot Camp is the first program. Um, yep in the diet rebellion and it's, it's done over 12 weeks and it starts with the calm and then it goes to control and then it goes to confidence and it has to go in that order because you can't navigate in chaos and make new decisions. And the analogy I use is imagine being on a ship that's in absolutely tremendous swells. It's all over the place you're holding on for dear life. And then in that moment, imagine, you know, the captain coming out saying, you know, I think I might like to chart a new path. Like, let's go to Bermuda instead of Bahamas. Can you just use this new compass and figure this out? In the, <laughs> like, it's insane, right? Like, it's yeah. not the time to be trying to learn new tools and figure stuff out. The calm yeah. has to happen first. So we do it very purposefully with the body and the mind and the heart. And again, I like I just recently went through this myself because I got into the, as we were talking about before the interview, <laughs> the chaos of life and the distractions and the trying to do too much. Um, I am a turtle, not a hare, and I was trying to live like a hare. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I got my reality check and, and I had to go back to the calm. And I use the same tools that I teach because that's where it begins. And once that calm is in place in the mind and the body and the heart, then it's the next step is very intuitive and much easier to take. Um, but that's what I found most of these programs and books that I was reading were missing was that there was so many things I had to figure out before I could just say, screw the food rules. Yeah. And, and that's brilliant because it's so true. If we, if we haven't reconnected with who we are, which is that, you know, like you say, getting to that calm, which allows us to, you know, to go inside and, and start to get to know what our voice is. How do you know that you're listening to your inner voice versus the manic? And I don't know about you, but I find I've got like this manic voice or used to anyway with food. And the manic voice would be like, chocolate, we need chocolate now, stop, get a family size bar. <laughs> right? like, yep. yep. but, but the quiet inner voice says, you know what, maybe let's go and we'll get like a really decadent small bar and have a couple of pieces. Yeah. But until I tuned into that, really, the, really the inner voice. I couldn't ever do that. I, I mean, like, seriously, I was, I was the type of person that if I opened up a family size bar, I had to eat the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? 
And, and I know oh, you can Dana, make- let me tell you about quantities of food. My binge <laughs> days are epic. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, it's, you know, but so it's great. It's great that you're, you're leading people to get reconnected first because they need to feel like they're coming from a place of authentic power mm-hmm. before they can step into really changing what is for most people, a, you know, a crazy relationship with food. It is. And um, I mean, the title of that first book I picked up, it's not about food. It mm. still rings true. I mean, any woman that I work with underneath it all, it's not about food, but the food is the symptom. The food is what's being demonstrated and put out and, and where the, the day-to-day struggle is. Mm-hmm. And it's also in their body, right? Because if they were comfortable in their body, the derive to change their food wouldn't be nearly as strong. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the body image and the disordered eating, they go hand in hand, you know, and I don't get to meet very many people anymore who really have a, a just genuinely comfortable relationship with food. Um, the guilt surrounded by food and it's the world we live in, you know, we, yeah. it's, it's hammered into us through, you know, doctors and nurses and naturopaths and <laughs> everybody <laughs> under the sun. Uh, it's hammered in by the woman at the grocery store who has a comment about what's in your cart. Um, I mean, yeah. it's, it's everywhere. Right. And so it's no wonder that this is getting to be overwhelming. Um, and you know, it's the, I'm a naturopath, of course, like food is my medicine. I, I firmly believe that so much health um, comes from what we eat and how we eat. And I don't dismiss that. And I think, again, that that's something that I can be a bit unique on is that bringing my naturopathic background to this. I'm not a coach who just one day decided, you know what, I'm going to love my body and jump on this bandwagon. I, I like the research. I like the science and I, I like to know, you know, what's really been looked at. And when you look in the world of nutrition, Dana, there is not one study that shows weight loss is sustainable. Let me put a little qualification in there. More than five to 10 pounds is not sustainable past five years. It's never been scientifically validated. And yet it is the number one prescription given in a doctor's office, go lose weight. Mm. Well, you might as well tell them to go touch the surface of the moon and they'll be fine. Like it's, it's an unattainable, ridiculous offer. (laughs) You know, because, uh, you know, the whole eat less, move more. Well, that's only part of the truth. There are so many factors that contribute to hunger and fullness and, and all of that chemistry. And then, you know, not to open up a can of worms, but then, then there's also, you know, the underlying factors, like, you know, if there's been sexual trauma in the, in the past and, you know, what that sets up dynamically for your relationship with your body and not wanting to show your body. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's all these layers. It is not as simple. Like you say, it is not simply, you know, eat less, move more. You know, I hear that from people who have never had a weight issue and I just, I want to punch them in the face because I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not that. Well, and it's all the things that go around anyone who carries extra weight. Um, And that, I mean, the stats around that, Dana, are terrifying. Like Mm. when you look at girls, um, I might get this slightly off, but uh, between grades one and three, it's 42% of girls say that they wish that they were thinner. Grades one to three. Oh, my God. Already the weight stigma is there. Bullying is in, for weight issues is the number one 
thing that kids get bullied for. Wow. And it happens in adults. It's the one thing that is socially acceptable to shame someone on. Look at the shows like The Biggest Loser and there's this revenge body. It, it, like there's, it, it's glorified and it's, um, it's infuriating. You yeah. know, you look on Facebook, the before and after when someone's on their weight loss journey, they're posting all these great pics and then suddenly it disappears and yeah. they disappear because the weight starts to come back on and they yeah. feel so ashamed and they hide and they miss out on life. And what they don't know is that that's what is shown in all the studies. The first six months, people drop pounds like no problem. Mm-hmm. And then they start to come back in the next six months. That's consistent over the research every time they do weight loss studies. And what's really neat, um, I love that the diabetes prevention program was my, I, <laughs> I read that while I was in Hawaii. Because the geek that I am, I have to actually read the actual research. I can't just read the highlights Um, because I don't believe what they report anymore. (laughs) Very cynical of what's actually presented, right? So I read this and um, because it's it's one of the biggest studies that really brought out the, you know, diet and exercise is more profound than any medication. So get people to lose weight and move more is what gets spouted from this right so I went to read it and went okay well what kind of weight loss did these people achieve and how did this all go down so they had incredibly intense nutritional training and personal training to get their fitness there and everything else they were all um, overweight pre-diabetic people so they were in that you know that scary zone and they want to know what do we need to do to prevent them from getting to diabetes and they they lost weight in the first Uh, for six months, about 7% of their body weight. And then in the next six months, they gained back most of it, sometimes all of it. But they were still following the nutritional plan. They were still following the exercise plan. The study ended up getting cut short at two years because the the risk reduction in the diet and fitness uh, arm was so overwhelming that it couldn't be ethical anymore to not have people in that arm. 60% reduction despite the fact that the sustained weight loss five years and 10 years down was only four pounds. So their risk of diabetes went down even though they didn't sustain the weight loss. Exactly. But that's not what they report. <laughs> wow. It's infuriating. Yeah. Because here's the deal. People with extra weight can't win right now in our society. No. Because I could be one of those people that lost that four pounds, but because I still wear a plus size, I should still be working on dieting. I should still be trying to get my weight down. I should Mm -hmm. still be restricting my food because I don't deserve to eat cake. And the fat shaming is so prevalent and acceptable now. Um, It's, it, it just makes me angry. (laughs) And then I start cussing and I get all over the place. I just get so mad. It's okay. We're, we're rated explicit. You can cuss if you want. I quite often drop some. There's a few. Yeah. 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 I get passionate. Occasionally my vocabulary gets a little trucker like, but I just, I, it infuriates me because I, I mean, just recently I was talking to one of my rebels and she'd gone to the doctor and she has, she did gastric bypass surgery. She lost 120 pounds that she's been maintaining for at least three years now. Wow. But she's still obese. And this doctor completely dismissed any of what she had done. It's not good enough. 
Oh. The fact that she walks her dog twice a day, it's not good enough if she's not panting. It's not good enough if she can't actually talk to her husband while they walk. It's uh, The shaming happens everywhere, and these women can't win. And it happens with men, too, um, but more with women. And um, there's just no way for them to win. So they just say, you know what? F this. I'm out. Like, why should I then pay attention to what I'm eating and how I'm moving mm-hmm. if I'm not going to get any of the positive feedback that I deserve. Oh my goodness. And this is what we're doing to our kids, Dana. And that's the sad part. We're raising another generation to do the same. Preventing childhood obesity is, um, you know, a big mission of public health. And while I do agree that prevention is a whole lot easier than treatment, if their parents are not understanding how to take care of themselves and how to respect their bodies. How are they to teach their children this? And how are we as a culture, how are we adults supposed to learn to respect our bodies when that is not what is put out into the world? Look at all the magazines, the airbrushing. One body type is represented and only one. And when anyone steps out, like women like Ashley Graham or some of the other models, the Tess Hallidays and all of that stuff, the it's, the public outpour of disgust is overwhelming where they actually get death threats for being fat and put on a magazine. I mean, that's how vehement people feel about fatness. Yeah. And that's what needs to start to shift because these people are people and they deserve to be treated with respect. Mm -hmm. And just because their health risk is put on the forefront doesn't make it okay to target them. You know, someone may go home and smoke or they might drink a bottle of scotch every night, but no one sees that. But if they're thin, then it's okay. And their health is never questioned. Mm. Whereas someone who carries extra weight is always put on the defensive that they should be justifying their every action because their health is at risk. And that's where I call bullshit. These people aren't shaming from a concern of health. These people are shaming out of disgust. Yeah. And that's, that's what has to shift. And it has to start within the own, your, your own home. I mean, I grew up with a mom who dieted. I grew up with a grandmother who dieted. You know, they were never happy with their body. I don't ever, ever recall my mom or my grandmother being proud of how they looked or not commenting before they ate, ever. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to think about how much needs to change in this area. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, it's exciting. You really are you know, leading a revolution and in getting people to, to shift and change. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be overnight, no. but I think what's exciting for me is that, you know, each one of your rebels, your diet rebellion people, they have the ability to, you know, to trickle out and affect everyone they interact with. Yes. Because as each one of those starts to love themselves and be okay with their body exactly as it is and, and learning to, you know, to be nurturing and nourishing your body in a way that's, that's so kind. Yes. um, That has the ability to ripple out, but it's, so needed. So I am like, I'm so grateful that you're doing this work. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it's exciting. Very exciting. 
Yeah, it's crazy yeah. fun. And oh my God, I know we could like talk for hours because <laughs> we have. <laughs> we we can get going and we will just keep chatting. But uh, <laughs> I do, you know, do try to wrap these up at a half hour mark. So, um, so how do people find you? Where can they, you know, get on board and find information on how to join the Diet Rebellion? Uh, the And we're on Facebook as The Diet Rebellion. And then I also have a closed group um, called Applaud Your Bod. And that group is um, closely monitored by my moderators to make sure that it's a place of safety and comfort. And it is where, you know, we share all the different things that are happening in the world in this movement. Um, It's really important to immerse yourself in a new mindset when you are trying to take on a new way of living or a new way of thinking. And the rest of the internet is filled with, you know, all you need to be happy is to lose (laughs) these few pounds. All you need for your confidence or to get the guy or to get the job or to get the, all you need. (laughs) So to have a safe haven, a place to go to um, where you can get this information and and read the articles and and have these in air quotes truths of the world uh, challenged uh, in a safe way and um, and start to navigate this this insane world of diet and fitness and and start to unveil some of the messaging that is really causing a lot of harm in this world yeah Fantastic. So I encourage everybody to, to pop over to applaud your bod, request to join and start to get some positive messages for you in your body and loving your body because Carrie is fantastic. Thank you again for joining me on the Inner Dominatrix podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Inner Dominatrix, the show that lets you step into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to tell your friends about it. And if you're ready to own your inner dominatrix, then hop over to my website, innerdominatrix.com, and let's have a conversation to get you rocking your bold, sexy, fun-filled life.